Welcome back to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast, Season 2, baby. This is your host, DBT Steph, and I'm so excited to continue sharing and uncovering the many layers of the physical therapy profession so that you can be the best clinician you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, DPT Steph. On today's episode, we have Dr. Jamie Moore, doctor of physical therapy, also an athletic trainer, also a rock tape instructor, and also a clinic owner. Jamie, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your PT journey and how you got to where you are today? First of all, I'm so excited to be here, Steph. I know we've connected years. It's been probably years. Um, I don't even know how many, so it's awesome to Definitely you know, chat in person. And yeah, but my journey, I would say it's similar to most people. I've had, had conversations with people like, oh, what did you do different? Same as most people. I was an athlete growing up, um, played sports, got injured in high school. Always knew I wanted to stay in the sports world. I always wanted, knew I wanted to be in the medical fields and be with active people. What that looked like, I didn't know. And I had a positive experience with PT and athletic training at the end of high school so knowing sports medicine and kind of wanting to go into that field that that's what I applied to that's what I was looking at in colleges and kinesiology physical therapy athletic training and I I was lucky enough I didn't even realize at the time I'm from New York and my mom was like there's a small school in Connecticut that actually has like this dual major program you should look at that and I was like no I want like a big school party school and I ended up getting accepted to the dual program at Quinnipiac which Thanks to my mom. Mom, if you're listening. Um, mom always knows best. Always. And I was like, what is this place? And so I got admitted uh, to the dual program right out of high school. So lucky because I had no idea how lucky I really was to have that opportunity. Um, and so I spent seven years at Quinnipiac just learning everything sports medicine and physical therapy and had amazing experiences traveling the country, interning with other universities and experiencing what like being an athletic trainer was at a major division one level, uh, as well as kind of like the mid-major school at Quinnipiac. And then I went to PT school and also had like a very typical PT frustrated student experience, like sitting in class, do I really need to know this? Because at that point I was an athletic trainer. And so it's, I'm going into ortho, right? I had that mindset of I'm going to be an orthopedic outpatient PT, cardio stupid, Palm is even stupider. Neuro is like dumb. I don't need any of this, right? And the naive student that we all are, it's like, no, I, I don't need to know that. These don't correlate. Like, you know, I don't want to say failing, but not really trying to pass cardio palm tests and, you know, thinking of RPE, like, yeah, whatever. Like <laughs> the people that I work with, they don't, they don't need this. And I, I was afforded an awesome opportunity at the end of PT school to intern with a company called Exos. And so, Met Exos, was able to be with Exos and spend about 12 weeks down there. Moved back to the Northeast to work as a PT and worked in the Northeast PT grind for two and a half years and then had the awesome opportunity to actually move back to Texas and spent about three and a half years with Exos as a performance PT down there. And COVID happened and a lot of things changed. And my wife and I at the time, who was my girlfriend and then fiance, decided it was time to move back and be closer to home and be closer to family. So I decided to go out on my own and kind of test the waters and use my reputation to my advantage and start my own cash PT clinic. So that's, we're a year into that now. And I'm in Philadelphia. 
so I'm from New York, but I moved to Jersey, and it's okay. I, <laughs> it's I was really enough. angry when I first did it, but yeah, but you know, there's something about saying I live in New Jersey and having like a New Jersey license plate on my car just doesn't still doesn't sit well with me. But well, I'm, I'm here, and yeah, we're just pushing about a year owning my own clinic. So it's been it's been an awesome experience so far. That's kind of like the the back view of my journey. And are there things that I would change always? But every step of the way has gotten me to where I am today. Yeah, everything's a learning experience. So I like that you point that out because you can always sit somewhere and, and kind of look back and be regretful of a certain experience. But I feel like the mindset to kind of flip around and say, you know what, maybe it wasn't really what I wanted, but here was my takeaway. Maybe it showed me what I didn't want to do or just kind of flip it around like that. And I've, I noticed that, you know, going through PT school and certain clinical experiences too, it's, it's been kind of the the switch for me and then you know you what does every experience afford you and so I, I like that you pointed that out but I want to kind of yeah. backtrack to what you said about the coursework because I think that's something that's super important and I know my head classmates who were like that and unfortunately I was the opposite because I was like I hate ortho get me out of ortho like I don't yeah. want to be here give me cardio pump give me no yeah. give me everything else so like what would you say to students who maybe are currently in that mindset right now and, you know, obviously you'd want them to eventually change. So how do you kind of help make that pivot? So I had this huge mindset shift. Um, it was actually the first rock tape course that I took. Uh, it was the first con ed course that I took out of school. And we started talking about the nervous system. And I was sitting there. I was like, is this a sick joke? I took an ortho outpatient taping class. Like, why am I talking about the somatosensory homunculus? Like, why am I talking about, like, the somatosensory cortex? Like, what is this? And I, I had to take a step back and realize, like, oh, well, this kind of makes sense. And now as a clinician, I do stuff that's, like, really weird in the ortho world. But it's not really weird to any of my friends or anybody who knows anything about neuro or cardiopulse. Like, I breathe with all of my patients on a very regular basis. I do tons of sensory stimulus stuff. I do tons of, like, input, output information. And I educate my patients on that on the regular. For me, that's what I do differently in my area. And what a lot of people when they come work with me, they're like, you know, you do different stuff. Like, why is what you do different? And unfortunately, it's, it's because of exactly that. It's because we have to realize that it's all one body. It's all one system. And ultimately, what I learned, and we both know, is the brain is always in control. So the orthopedic outpatient musculoskeletal system doesn't exist without the nervous system, the central nervous system, the spinal cord, the lateral reticulothalamic tract that we all memorized on a flashcard. Oh God, PTSD, please don't. Let's not go down that hole. Right? <laughs> but those things, like they're all relevant and they're all part of the same system. For me and anyone who's listening, who's in that mindset, I was there, we're all there at a certain point. We have to remember at the end of the day, it's all one human. It's not just like a slab of meat. We're not just looking at a piece of steak. And so like all of us, prior experiences, prior emotions, prior thought processes, like those all input into what happens. And that's not just the musculoskeletal system. And so taking a step back and when we finally have the ability to like take the blinders off and realize, wow, this is all included. I think it changes the way that we treat people, but also can treat, especially in an outpatient world where the majority of places unfortunately, are doing the exact same thing with the exact same people. And it's just plug and play. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy, too. And so I was a, a non-traditional PT student or pre-PT, I would say. So I had pediatrics and inpatient experience, not the typical athlete that was injured or had outpatient ortho. Right. So when I had my outpatient ortho clinic, 
for affiliation. <clears throat> the place that I was at, all I did was the same three exercises with every patient who came in with like a similar pain and, and diagnosis. And I'm sitting here now post-grad and I'm like, I really wonder, like I could have ended up an outpatient ortho if I maybe had a better experience knowing I've obviously now what I know and seeing on social media and all these other yeah. people doing different things. And, and that really like just hinders your mindset. I know so many people also think that about acute care when they're like, oh, you just get up and walk patients. And I'm like that, I don't, mm, not really. the experience. Not really. Not really. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I was like, as not similar as they are, my second to last affiliation before I started working with athletes was an inpatient pediatric rotation, which is what I like really wanted to do. And I was like torn because I loved it. I was, I had so much fun doing inpatient peds and like I just, everything about it was amazing to me. Ultimately, I obviously chose to do sports PT, but right. I think if you have a good experience and, and that's like kind of, let's say like shame on school, but if you have a good experience and a good rotation, like it could open your eyes. I've talked to tons of students that I've had as a clinical instructor that were like, on the edge of maybe I don't want to do ortho outpatient. And then all of a sudden, like you just open people's eyes to something different. And it's like, wow, it's not just hot pack, 15 minutes of, you know, hot pack and stem, clamshells, glue bridges, and like marching and lateral trunk rotations, and then cold pack and stem again. And that's it. So it, it's all about the experiences that we have. And I love that you said that because I think <laughs> it's humongous. Yeah, and it's 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 almost like I also have this little bit of regret or like upset stomach thinking about it too, like how I had patients in front of me who I was just having do, them do pelvic tilts for like four or six yeah. weeks, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I don't really feel like that. That doesn't sit right with me, knowing that they could have been doing a lot more or progressing, yeah. you know, maybe quicker. I don't know. That's just my conscious and my outlook of it. Um, but I think it's huge. And I, I try to like not defer students, you know, even being an acute care therapist, I try not to defer students and say, okay, you know, don't do outpatient. I try to, you know, talk about mills and be aware of different things, but I never would say like, right. don't do this because I think any setting or any experience really can afford you so many different things. Like even if you're in outpatient ortho and it's not an athletic population, there are still so many different treatment styles or different things that you can do with yeah. patients and it gets so redundant so quickly especially when everyone looks for that black and white answer that I think it gets lost in translation so often you know I'm interesting and anyone who's ever been a student with me has heard me say this and I'm like very unconventional with it because I took the very unconventional route to get to where I am I worked in a mill as my first job because I followed as an ATPT like I want to work with athletes and then I went and took my first job in a mill for the money, like most of us do, because I was like, oh, this mill clinic is offering me $6,000 more than this other clinic. Like, I need to chase the money. I have all the student loan debt. Well, the same thing everyone else always said. And I was only there for three months. I left. And then I moved to like a sports performance clinic where it was like mill-ish or became mill-ish. But I tell people all the time coming out of school, as much as I like talk terribly about mill clinics, I think they have their place. I think they're, unfortunately, they're part of our system. We can't all afford Lululemon. We can't all afford Ferraris and, you know, Teslas. And as terrible as it sounds, there's different levels, different categories, and that, that needs to be okay. But I tell students all the time, if you're unsure what you want to do, take a job at a mill clinic because it's going to get you repetition. And ultimately, we, we both know 
the only way to get good at your job is to do it over and over and over and over and over again. So if you're going to go see low backs and you're going to see 20 patients a day, at the end of the week, you're at 100 patients, half of those are low backs, you're going to get way more reps at treating low back pain patients than you are at a like bougie, you know, one patient an hour, like clinic as your first job. So mm -hmm. I tell students all the time, take that opportunity because like you said, there's tons of ways to learn. If you're willing to take the risk, take the dive, learn a little bit, and then understand like this is not my long-term goal and I'm gonna go right. in, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna get out. Yeah, I think that's a huge point to make. Like understand it, it may not be your long-term goal. I mean, some people stick it out, power some to people, you if right. you do. But that's another great point too. I don't think students realize that it's okay to leave your job. Like so many people always. feel stuck and I'm like, you have the flexibility and you have the power as the employee to leave and then go yeah. somewhere else. But a lot of people, I feel like the older generations probably have more of a judgment to it and a stigma where, you know, you need to stay at your first job for a year or two and then get your experience and then move around. Like, no, this is also healthcare. It's a little bit different than the corporate world and the corporate ladder. But I think it's, it's really important. If the place is not working for you, don't burn yourself out move on to bigger, better, or the same, just somewhere else. I hear it all the time. People are like scared to leave. And I will always firmly stand on and believe it's 2022. The only way that we make more money in this world is we get a new job. That whole old school policy of like, stick it out. You're going to get a raise and eventually become rich. It's not a thing. We're PTs. We're never becoming rich. But I tell everybody, like you're, everyone has a first job. And then they have a second job and then they have a third job and a fourth job. And so it's like, once we make that eye-opening realization that your first job is probably not your forever job, it becomes so much easier to say like, that was great. That was an awesome six months. That was an awesome eight months. That was an awesome two years on to the next one. I did it really quickly. I did it in three months, but that's okay. If it's not working for you, right. You need to be able to be comfortable and say, I'm out of here. Yeah. And like, what would you recommend to students who maybe want to work in that sports athletic type population, but maybe their first job is more of that mill or just standard outpatient ortho experience? Like what advice would you give for someone looking to make that switch? Get as many opportunities to get in front of as many people as possible. And so, right. That's what I did. I took the unconventional route. I've worked with so many people that followed the very typical model, right? You go to PT school, whether you're an AT or a PT, you go right from PT school to residency, and then you have this amazing residency, and then you go from residency to fellowship, and then all of a sudden, like, you're working with pro athletes, right? Because you just followed this, like, path. But that's not for everyone. Everyone doesn't do that, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. The reality is you just have to find the opportunities. So for me, I needed to start making money because I had tons of student loans to pay back. So I took a job, but I found every opportunity to volunteer, to meet other people, to build connections, because especially the sports world and like the sports, elite sports medicine world, it's all connections. It's not what you know, it's who you know, fortunately or unfortunately. So if anyone wants to get into that field that's listening, take any opportunity to volunteer somewhere, even if it's at a local track event, even if it's at the Boston Marathon or the New York City Marathon. Because A, you have no idea who you're going to be volunteering with. You have no idea who you're going to meet and make a relationship with. And B, it's relevant experience. It's experience that you need to be able to do the things that you want. And the, probably the biggest thing that 
maybe I'm dating myself. I'm not that old, but we didn't have Instagram in college. Like Instagram came out my senior year of college. So in PT school, it was like just starting and we would post like these really awfully filtered photos and like we would get like three likes and it was like, oh my God, I had three likes. But now we have like the opportunity to have everybody at our fingertips. And so I tell people all the time, reach out, like find somebody that you can ask questions, listen to a podcast, find somebody that you like what they have to say, DM them. If they never respond, okay. Move on to the next one. Right, but if there's a chance they do respond and you have an opportunity to pick their brain, you have an opportunity to shadow them or learn something or just follow them and see what they have to say, those experiences are all experiences that are going to help you get to that next level or just progress your career. So I'm a big, big, like, go out and do it and risk it. And I mean, I started my own clinic. So, right, like, what's the worst thing that happens? You fall flat on your face. If someone doesn't respond to me, okay, well, then I'm just going to DM 10 people. And if one responds, then I win. And if none respond, I still win because I had the, you know, the balls to go out and say, like, hey, will you help me? Like, are you willing to answer this question? And and I, personally, I've made some amazing connections by just doing that and getting in people's DMs and commenting and having awesome conversations. And the people that I've been able to meet, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, what I've been able to do by doing that. So if I can do it, I say anybody else can. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I feel like now, even since two or three years ago, kind of when I got on, there's so many more people willing to have discussions through social media than ever before. And like, I know everything used to be big on like follower number and, you know, how big are they kind of thing. But like, everyone's kind of over that. And everyone's like, all right, who can I learn from? And how can I make this connection? And how can we help each other and I say help each other because you have to be mindful of not to have like that completely take 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 relationship yeah which I think is important to note but you know there's so many more opportunities out there now because of social media probably than ever before and the best piece of advice I can give to anybody doing that if you're local right so I have it all the time offer to pay for something for someone like instead of just asking somebody if you can hop on the phone with them and pick their brain because we all get those all the time Mm -hmm. and offering to pick my brain is 30 to 45 minutes of my time that I can't do X, Y, and Z. And I've, I've done it with people. I said, Hey, look, like what's your hourly rate at your clinic? You know, can I pay for a half hour of your time just so we can sit and talk? 99% of the time people are going to say, no, don't worry about it, but thank you for offering. Let's talk. Or, Hey, like I had a student reach out to me that's in Philly, my clinic. I don't live in Philly anymore. I'm in the suburbs. But he offered to come drive over, meet me, take me out to lunch just for the opportunity to talk to me. I'm way more inclined to have a conversation with somebody that's willing to front the money. And I know he's a student. And so like that even means even more to me that someone's willing to pay to take me out to lunch mm-hmm. to be able to ask me a question. Do so, they understand your value? Right. And I did it. Like I offered the first person that I ever interacted with and did this with was Shante, who people know is her. She's the movement maestro. She's amazing. She's such a good friend of mine now and ultimately got me my job at Rock Tape by me DMing her. We started a conversation and then I was like, okay, how can I get to pick this woman's brain? I want to learn from her. So I asked her how I can host her for a course because I knew if she came out to me and came to my clinic, she would get paid. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to get her to host a course at my clinic 
she made money doing that. And then we went out to dinner for two nights. And like, I got to spend two nights with her. And we've been friends ever since because she got paid to come out and see me. She got to do the thing that she loves to do. And like, there was no skin off my back. It was just a weekend of me learning. So it happens like it's possible and people respect it and appreciate it versus like hey can I pick your brain can you tell me what you think I should do Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and I think that's huge and I like that you brought that up because I get those equal messages from students all the time and and I and I feel it um but yeah it's it's especially when you're you have people that have so much experience behind whatever the topic is that you're asking about like obviously they did a lot of research and put a lot of time and effort into getting themselves to where they are. So if you want them to help, help you, you kind of need to respect that and, you know, understand that they have a lot of value to offer you. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, because I know you mentioned, so you said earlier, you have your clinic for about a year now, a little bit of a lifestyle change. Was there anything in the PT mindset that kind of prompted you to open this as well? hundred percent. I was so over the corporate nonsense that I had to deal with that I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I, w- I just couldn't like play the game anymore. And I learned like, that's the corporate game and I get it. And I just didn't want to do it. Like I know what I know and I know how to do things well. And I was at a point in my career where, again, I'm, I was in a rare situation, but I was at a point where I had athletes flying to to Texas to come work with me and I was still dealing with corporate nonsense. And I was like, like, what am I doing? Like, I just want to do my job. I just want to be a PT. Like, I don't want to deal with this like PTO. I can, I can't like, I have to be here at nine o'clock every day. And you know, Oh, I have to work nights because my boss said I have to work nights. Like, I have a wife and I want to go home and see her. Like, I don't want to be at work until seven o'clock every day. Like, what if I want to work from seven to four? Why is that not okay? What if I want to work every other night? Like, why is that not okay? And so, like, I just was getting into a situation where I was getting, like, frustrated being a a PT that worked for somebody for five years and seeing all different levels of, like, reimbursements coming in, knowing how much money people were making off of me and not to say like I knew I could do it myself but I just my biggest thing for opening my own clinic was not to make money it was to just be able to be a PT like I just wanted to do what I wanted to do without having someone look over my shoulder tell me what I should or shouldn't do without having someone like question my intentions like question what I was doing asking me why I was doing that like why am I not you know something as silly as like why are you not doing basic PT exercises like of course you should be doing things like ankle four ways and hip four ways. And I don't need to justify to you why I'm not doing what I'm doing. If my patient's okay with it and we're getting the outcomes that we're looking for. So I just, I didn't like, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. And after a certain point in time, like I felt like the reputation that I was able to grow and the patient population that I had, I just didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. So I said, I'm going to try doing this on my own. And of course, COVID was a thing and I was in Dallas and I'm from the Northeast and my wife is from the Northeast and we wanted to be closer to the family. So it was the perfect opportunity to leave and take a chance. And so far it's knock on wood has paid off. (laughs) For students who maybe are new grads, like going in, they're just starting their first job or maybe they're a year or two, three years plus 
even in their first job and they're kind of stuck in that corporate rut. You know, how do you think with little or, you know, less experience, they can kind of leverage themselves to either A, negotiate in like an insurance-based environment, which we know can be limiting, or B, start kind of branching out on their own? So I think there are like multiple ways that I can answer this. So I'm (laughs) going to try to answer it to the best of my ability to cover all of them. First, if people are interested and it's like you're in the corporate PT world and you're like, I think I want to do this. My biggest advice to you is to go find a cash PT that's looking for somebody hiring part-time. Go find somebody that's already doing it and work for them because they're looking for somebody to help them two nights a week or on a Saturday morning. So don't take the skin off your back. Like someone else is doing the work. They're going to pay you to do the work. See what it's really like. Have a, a boss that you can ask those questions that has taken the leap, that has already done the things that you're doing so you can learn more the biggest thing that gives you an opportunity to also like separate create this like okay this is what it could be versus this is what i'm doing and i think the other thing is is like we talked about is just find a new job not every job sucks not every pt job is not not great so if you're really like in a situation where you're just looking and you're like i used to love pt and i don't want to do it anymore evaluate why i've seen so many people leave the profession as of lately and if it's just because of a bad job, that doesn't mean PT is bad. Like there's a great opportunity somewhere else that you could love your job. It could just be a toxic work environment. Like it could be a great company in the location you're at bad. Mm-hmm. It could be a really crappy company. So I think it's important to like evaluate all of those things, make like a pros and cons list. And as I said, like once you've had a sex first job, you know what you're looking for in your second job. It's like dating. When you have like a, a relationship that ends, you learn more about yourself to be able to say, like, these are the traits I'm looking for. These are the traits I'm not looking for. So after my first job, when I went into my second job, the things that I were asking were way different in my interview than they were before my first job. I was asking to look at a schedule. I was asking to see the typical hours. I was asking the average patient age. I was asking you know, what local high schools they work with. These are all things that I wouldn't even think to ask, but Mm -hmm. I learned, okay, well, if they can answer these questions for me, then they must be working with this type of population. So I was able to learn from it. So I think that's like the huge piece. And ultimately, it's not forever. Like if you want to open your own clinic, you can open your own clinic. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it 10 years from now. You're never stuck. And I think like that's probably a lot life thing but especially in pt thing like you're never stuck somewhere just like you said you have the onus like a job needs you more than you need the job you can get a pt job at any corner pt clinic anywhere they need you because you're making them money mm-hmm. and when you leave an orthopedic outpatient job you realize how badly they needed you because they scramble really quickly and when you come into an ortho outpatient job and you're like i'm giving two weeks see ya and you watch people like duck on water, like try to pretend they're fine and they're freaking out, you like realize that you do have the leverage and you you are in control. And so if that's you, just look for another job. You can find another job. You don't have to tell everyone you're looking. Uh, but for me being in some of those environments and realizing like that's not what PT is, like PT is not three patients an hour every hour for you know, every day of the week, if, if it doesn't, if you don't want it to be, like, it doesn't have to be that. Being a clinic owner now, like, 
I have the ability to say no to people. I get phone calls for people requesting to come in to see me that, that that's not who I want to work with. Like, you're not the reason that I came in to be a physical therapist. You're not the reason I started my own clinic. I will happily help you find somebody that fits you. But I had a mother call me to ask me about her son coming in to see me because he was having like knee pain, but he had like auditory processing issues and was like legally blind and like, right. And I was like, I, I will help you find the right provider, but I'm in a gym, there's loud music playing. And like, that's not the style of PT that I do. That's really yeah, not what I do. Yeah, you have to know your limits and right. you know, make clear. You won't succeed with me. Yeah. Right. What was your decision so think, to kind of, sorry to cut you off, but what was your decision yeah. to go cash-based versus intake insurance? No, no, no. I actually, well, yeah. But uh, I started when I made the transition being an out-of-network insurance provider, which, like, I wanted to take insurance because I believe in the insurance model when done correctly. But ultimately, I was getting into the situation, and I started for my first three months. And I don't tell anybody this, so you're just, you're the first person I'm ever telling. The exclusive. To. I started for my first three months, trying to take insurance. Like I tried so hard, and I knew what like I needed to make a visit, right? And like, let's just say I needed to make a hundred dollars a visit. Now, when people hear that number, they freak out, and I'm like, a hundred dollars a visit is a hundred dollars an hour. But you're also assuming I'm seeing 40 patients an hour, which is a new business. I'm not. A. B, you're thinking $100 an hour is $100 in my pocket. It's not. I have to pay right. taxes. C, I, I own my own business. $100 an hour also includes my rent, my electric bill, all the supplies that I need to purchase, all of the marketing that I need to do, my website, like my EMR, my Google domain. Like I need to pay for all of that myself. Mm-hmm. So when it's all said and done, that $100 that you think I'm getting is actually $20, which is not that much money. So people freak out and they're like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. But when I started out and I was at like $100 a session, or that's what I calculated I needed to make and I was trying to take insurance. So obviously when you take insurance, you play this game of, okay, your insurance is going to pay $40. So your out of pocket is going to be $60 a visit until you've met your deductible and your insurance is reimbursing at X percent and then you're covering and I know the game so I had to play the game but I was actually telling people or I was actually having people tell me that they didn't want to pay that much out of pocket to use their insurance and they're like well if I'm using insurance I don't want to pay $60 every session I'm gonna go somewhere else and then I kind of was like well, that's not the right answer because you're going to pay 60 anywhere. That's just what insurance costs. Like, that's what you have to pay. It, it, doesn't, like, it, it doesn't matter. So that was funny. But then I started trying to go cash. And I was like, let me see if this makes a difference. Because there's a lot of headaches taking insurance. Being a solo person, I had to call to verify. I had to verify benefits. I had to run this. I had to figure out if I want to take insurance. The hours spent on the phone alone. <laughs> Insane. And then... I was like, okay, let me like test the waters of cash. Like everyone talks about cash. So then I started telling people I'm a hundred dollars cash and they were like, okay. And I was like, wait a second, you, you're not pushing back. Like you pushed back, like I'm not the same people, of course. Right. But like I was getting so much pushback when I was taking insurance and I was expensive. But when I made the transition to only cash, I'm not touching insurance. 
people had no problem paying it. And I'm, I'm charging way more than that right now. And people still don't have a problem paying it. So I think like there's, there's two pieces to it, but ultimately I decided like it just wasn't worth my time to do all of the back end stuff and to do all of that additional work because when you're getting busy and now I'm seeing like 30 plus patients a week, I don't have time to sit on the phone and verify insurance and I'm not making enough money to pay somebody to do that for me. So it's like your lesser of two evils. What do you do? So ultimately I just decided I was going to stick with cash and what people don't realize about taking insurance is it's great. And you could make a lot of money taking insurance and charging out of network rates, but insurance companies are averaging four to six months of reimbursement. So that means who you see today, you don't get paid for an additional six months. So when you're a solo practitioner and you're like, wow, my company's making so much money off of me as an out of network provider, that's because they're like making money in snowball effects. When it's just you and you have to pay that electric, that rent bill, like all of those things, and you saw, let's say you saw 100 visits in a month, but you've only been paid for six months ago's 20 visits, you don't have the money to pay what you need to do. So it's just, it's made things easier for me right now. And I have explored the option of taking insurance. And in rare circumstances, I do accept insurance. Um, obviously, very rare situations, but I do take insurance from some people. Uh, but that was, that, that's, it's way more complicated than people think of just like, I want cash in my pocket right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just a greedy person. It's not the case. When you start to take into account all of these things, and I just raised my prices. And people are like, wow, your prices went up. I was like, yeah, so did the cost of gas. So did the cost of milk. So did the cost of bread. Like, <laughs> the cost my, of living. My, right. So if everything around me is going up and I have to pay for that myself, like, because I'm my own business, yeah, unfortunately, my prices need to go up. Yeah. I, I think you made such great points. And I've had a couple, I've recorded a couple of these episodes so far, but no one's really talked about it in the way that you just did with like the cost of running the business aspect. Yeah. Of, choosing insurance versus cash. And I really like that you have the experience of insurance and then kind of switching before just, you know, nose diving into cash completely. Yeah. Um, but I think that gets lost in translation so easily. And I know obviously when you're a student or a new grad, you just want like a decent salary, but you have to really kind of plan your perspective. Well, what is the environment that you're treating in? And, you know, if it's going to be, you know, a, a place that's maybe not a mill, but they're just standard outpatient ortho and they're, insurance base like you're probably not gonna be getting paid a lot because their money is just not flowing in so it's like cash based for multiple reasons and obviously anyone just wants to make a living especially with the degree and the debt that many people have in this profession yeah. but i think the business process does get lost very easily so I, I really appreciate you bringing that up and there's let me just get make one point and mm -hmm. it, it may piss people off but i don't really care this is the reality and and i firmly stand by this because this was me you'll agree this was you, like this is every PT. Any new grad that's listening, like I'm going to be the bearer of bad news to you and I apologize, you are not good at your job. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, you are not good at your job because you haven't adequately been trained to be good at your job. All you've done is pass the board's exam that tells you that you're safe enough not to kill someone. Like you are safe enough to actually practice, that doesn't mean you're good. Just because you had a really awesome 12-week rotation and you're better than your classmate doesn't mean that you're good. When you're in the clinic and you're standing next to somebody that's been doing this for 10 years, you realize how not good you are. 
and that needs to be acceptable. We need to understand that. I see so many students coming out of school that like think they're amazing at their job, and we need to recognize that. Now, why am I making that point? Because I hear so many students talk about wanting to own their own cash businesses right out of school. You need to realize, A, you're not good at your job yet. You're just decent at your job. That's okay. You will get better with repetition and experience. But B, when you see other PTs charging $150 an hour for a session, that's because there's experience to back that $150 up. If you're not good at your job and you're charging that, you're actually doing yourself more harm than good, which is another thing people don't talk about. Everyone's like, yeah, start your business, PTs, we deserve to make more money. But if you try to start your own business and you're not good and you charge a lot of money, you're going to get a bad reputation as somebody who's not that good at their job, but charges a lot of money. And in a cash PT world, like your reputation is everything. So if you develop a bad reputation, you're screwed and like you're in trouble. So that's another piece to take into account, which I've talked to so many people that are a year out of school that are like, I want to start a cash business. What would advice would you give? My advice is you're not ready yet because there are so many compounding factors to being a solo practitioner. You're not learning from anyone. There's nobody else around you. Like you don't have that interaction with colleagues. And again, your reputation is literally all you have. So if you don't do a good job at helping people get better and it's taking you a long time and you're trying to charge a premium because it's like sexy to charge a lot of money as a cash PT, you're not going to be successful. And then you're going to sit back and be like, I wonder why I failed. Like, I wonder why my business didn't take off the way that I wanted it to. And it's one of those things, too, that I think a lot of people maybe might not. I don't know if offended is the right word, but maybe just a little like bothered, just for a lack of better words, um, when they hear like older PTs, like more like older than even you just say and like make these kind of comments. And I'm like, but you have to understand they're talking from experience. And you have like even in a non-healthcare, non-PT world most people can't just, you know, wake up one day post-grad or post-MBA and like go open a storefront and open a business. So many businesses fail before they can actually be successful. And especially in healthcare, you need to be aware of that because you're literally have people's lives in front of you. And if you don't have the experience, not even from the business aspect, just from the healthcare aspect, that can be very detrimental in many ways. The social media hype behind it, though, help and it drives me crazy. I know, but like we both know, like there, there's one thing, and this is from the outpatient world. Like there's one thing to think and to have experience in like treating knees. There is, but you also got to remember if you're in a direct access state, like you don't have another older seasoned clinician to pick their brain about. So you have to be really good at being able to screen out red flags. You have to be really good at being able to say like something's not adding up because. I've been in sports medicine for 10 years and I know that this is what a knee is supposed to look like when X, Y, Z is happening. So I know when my patient is sitting in front of me and they're experiencing something different that something's not adding up here and I probably need to get you out because this is not correct. If you're like right out of school and you haven't had the opportunity to learn those things, just like you said, like someone's life is in your hands. You want to be able to pick up on those things quickly and people are going to be pissed if you took their money and charged them for like 10 sessions and didn't pick up on something. Awesome. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> but it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And now that business that you thought you were going to run is gone. Like you've got nothing left, yeah. which is 
the reality of owning a business versus like the sexy part of like Instagram cash PT. That's the way to go. Right. And I think that also ties into the point that you made earlier about, you know, getting your experience in a high volume clinic where like, yes and no, like obviously there's pros and cons to it and don't burn yourself out while doing it. But when you're right. seeing that many patients, your experience almost gets like logged faster because you have so many different people and presentations and personalities to be dealing with that then it's like rapid fire. Like you're just going to start learning so quickly how to deal with all of those different aspects of patient care alone. Yeah. And you learn how to multitask, which is a huge tool. Yeah. Like, which could be great. You need, you need to be able to do that. So yeah, it's it. I know it's like the sexy move and it's like the cool move to make, but I'll never tell anyone not to do it. I just tell them to make the strategic decision to do it, right? If you set your goal that I want to do this after three years, get relevant experience to do this after three years. Don't just like aimlessly shoot and say like, I one day want to be a clinic owner. But if you're working towards something, you know that relevant experience that you're looking to get, which is huge and will help you versus like, I've met students coming out of school that literally are like new grads and have never had a job and they're like starting cash business. I wish you the best of luck, but I just know it's not going to go well because there's just no way you're going to be able to compete against forget other cash businesses. The PT clinic down the road that has a clinician that's been doing this for 20 years. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a lot to think about. And I think many yeah. people don't realize that because again, you get the glorification from social media. And I feel like not even just from a cash-based PT aspect, I think social media just glorifies everything, period. So everyone's yeah. so tied to this like aesthetic and this image and obviously money, especially when you have a lot of debt and they don't realize not only like the effort and the time and the work that you have to put into run a business that you're working like a hundred hour weeks, not 40 hour weeks to begin with. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a lot to take in. And when you're fresh out of school, you should be focusing so much on your clinic skills because that's the time, especially being fresh out of school, that your learning curve is going to be like a steep slope and not a little, right. you know, actual. Yeah. <laughs> Any final tips for students that you have as we wrap up? Final thoughts? I would say I'll never write, I say it how it is but I'll never tell anybody not to do something. So don't let anybody tell you not to do it, right? If you're sitting there and you're in PT school and you're like, I want to work with pro athletes and that was me. And I had so many people tell me like, uh, you're not going to make it, whatever. Just keep like, keep your eyes on the prize and keep checking boxes that are going to help you get to where that is. If that's work with pro athletes, let it be work with pro athletes. And if you don't get a great first job, get a great second job. If you don't get a great second job, get a great third job. Like if you, if you really want this, you can make it happen. The same thing goes for owning a cash PT business. If you want to do it, like check your boxes, set your goals, just like patients, right? It's the same thing as PT. You go through an evaluation, we figure out what's wrong, and then we sequentially, step-by-step, step, get somebody better. We need to do the same thing with our career. There's something you want to do. Like figure out what it is that you want to do, work backwards in the steps that you need to achieve and attain to be able to do that. And then you have your roadmap, just go with it. So it doesn't matter if you want to be an acute care specialist, if you want to be the head PT at a sports medicine program, if you want to be the head PT for a, you know, NBA team, like look at those things and figure out what steps do I need to take to get there and do it. I don't think it matters. You can be, and that's probably any profession. 
But if we work backwards and kind of set those goals, like we talked about, that first job doesn't seem daunting because you know that you're going to need to move from that first job to that second job. And you know that you're going to need to find opportunities to volunteer and opportunities to meet people and continue to grow. But we also have to not be afraid of that humongous number of student loan debt and can't let that like dictate the way that we do things. Ultimately, I get it. We're all in the same amount of student loan debt. Some of us are lucky enough not to be there, but the majority of us have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. It is what it is. We're all going through it. But don't try not to make decisions based off that big, scary number because there are ways to make it work in the long term. Um, but really just try to be ob as objective as you can to get to where you want to go. And you can get there. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do anything. We just have to kind of be smart and strategic with how we get there. I love it. That was a great note to end on. Where can people find you if they have any questions or want to chat? Yeah, the easiest way is social media. Uh, unless you're in Philly and Cherry Hill, you can obviously come see me. But the easiest way is social media. My handle is Dr. Jamie Moore. Most people spell Jamie wrong and Moore wrong. Um, but I'm on social media. That's the easiest way to get to me. Uh, I'm on all platforms. But Instagram is usually where I spend most of my time. Or my website, which is the same exact thing, Dr. Jamie Moore. And my email address is on there. My phone number's on there. My Instagram handle's on there. So any or all of those. And I promise I would love to chat and we can find a time to talk. And I'm happy to help the best that I can. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. And you guys know where to find them if you have any questions. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.